Come on, everybody, put your hands together. Praise God all over the building. Oh, you can do better than that. Why don't you just get up on your feet right now? Let's celebrate the man of God. Let's celebrate the man of God for 29 years. Come on. Oh, come on, good hope. Come on. I want you to point your hands toward your leader. I want you to point your hands toward your leader and say, God bless you. Pastor Cofield, you are the best. You are an amazing and godly leader. Come on, put those hands together and praise God. As you take your seat, as you take your seat, I am deliciously proud uh, today to uh, be here uh, once again, to be back uh, in the heavenly city of Houston, uh, to be at this great church. Amen. Good hope. You are a great church. Give yourselves a hand. Uh, your, your witness and your, your testimony is known uh, not only across the length and breadth uh, of this nation, but people know about your witness worldwide. And that can be attributed to uh, the leadership uh, that you are under uh, as God has used uh, in such a marvelous manner uh, Dr. D.Z. Cofield. Let's give God another thunderous applause for him. Uh, he, he is my brother for many, many years and uh, God has knit our hearts together. God has given us a, a kindred spirit and, you know, the Bible says iron uh, sharpeneth iron. And I've been privileged to glean, uh, Phyllis, so much uh, from your pastor. Amen. I'm talking to my cousin now. That's just a personal conversation going on. Uh, but I've been able to glean so much uh, from uh, Pastor uh, Cofield. You do know that he is one of God's best preachers. I think I just said something. He is one of God's best preachers. He is one of God's best teachers. He is one of God's best pastors on the planet. Give it up one more time for him. And then I, I want to thank God for my bonus sister, uh, Lady Tory. She is just an amazing, amazing leading lady. Stand up, Tori. Stand up. I want her to stand. Stand. Stand, Tori. Y'all give her a hand. Hey, amen. I, I love her. She is my bonus sister. And uh, her, her and DZ, they are they're like peanut butter and jelly. Uh, they, they are like hamburgers and french fries. Y'all know what I'm talking about, don't you? They're like Coke and ice cream. They, they go together. Amen. They are, they are a perfect mix. They are a perfect uh, blend. And they complement one another. And they work together in ministry. And they are, they are they're not a perfect, they're not a perfect union. There's no such thing as a perfect union. Look at your neighbor and tell them there's no such thing as a perfect union. 
but they are a perfect model. Amen. They are a perfect model. And so I, I thank God for, for Tory. And then I want to thank God for the lay leadership of the church, all of the deacons, the trustees, the officers, and staff. Uh, particularly, I want to thank God for my, my brother, uh, Deacon uh, Nate Robinson. Y'all give Nate a hand. He's a super guy. Amen. He's a, he's a super guy. I want to thank him for, for picking me up at, uh, at the uh, airport on Friday. And uh, he was dressed like he was going to church on Friday. I said, Nate, I didn't know we were going to church on Friday. I got off the plane looking like a hobo. Amen. I almost didn't want to get in that nice car. Amen. But I thank him uh, for his, his kindness. And then my man Stan. Amen. Where is Stan? Amen. Stan, where you at? Come on, y'all got to give it up for Stan. Stan and his lovely wife, Miss Jake. Y'all give it up for him. Y'all give it up for him. Amen. Is, is uh, Derek here? Is Derek? Look at Derek. Y'all give Derek a hand. Uh, Derek, Derek Drive, Derek has one of those uh, fancy classic cars. It's a, it's a 66 Mustang convertible. It's sweet, y'all. Look at somebody tell him it's sweet. And I kept looking at that Mustang. I was looking at it and looking at it. I sure wanted to ride in it. But I wanted to make sure I could fit in it first. <laughs> Amen. I, I got embarrassed in uh, Cleveland, Ohio, a few years ago. My bonus son, who plays in the NBA, uh, Kyrie Irving, he uh, he bought a Lamborghini, and uh, I I told him I wanted to drive it. And he, when I got to Cleveland, and I got to Cleveland, he said, "Pop, take take the Lamborghini." And you know, it has those suicide doors on and everything like that. And uh, I went out to the garage. I was ready to speed through the streets of, of Cleveland and couldn't get in the car. And, they, and I was trying all kind of ways to get in that car. And you know, in the, in the days of social media, my sons and all our friends, they, they had me on social media live. And I said, when I saw that, I said, the devil is a liar. Amen. And so I didn't, I didn't want to try to get in that pretty Mustang yesterday and not fit, so I'm going to wait and, and see. Uh, but I thank God for him. And uh, Bell, God bless you, man. Thank God for you. You're an amazing leader. Thank God for you. I, I, wish, I, could, I wish I could call everybody's name. I think I have a few uh, cousins in the house. Uh, I can't see you with all these fancy lights. Uh, but uh, I thank God uh, for you. And then I, I saw one of my bonus uh, brothers, Daryl, uh, from Atlanta. He came. Raise your hand, Daryl. He's a super godly Christian. Y'all give God a hand for him. He's so talented. He's, he's gifted and talented, and he's in the house today. So all of my cousins, I'm glad to get to see you, Phyllis. Amen. Phyllis is a part of our family to the end, and I'm thankful for her. I, I, had, a, I, had, a major, I had a major experience yesterday in the leadership uh, training session, rooted and grounded. Let's give God a hand for rooted and grounded. I'm I'm taking rooted and grounded uh, back to New York. Amen. I'm I'm taking rooted and grounded back to New York, and uh, I'm gonna do the best I can uh, to lead our church 
uh, in Rooted in Ground. It was a phenomenal fellowship. Got a chance to sit at the VIP table yesterday with Alicia. Raise your hand, Alicia. Amen. She's something else, y'all. Amen. And uh, she's, I, I went to sit down and she said, welcome to the VIP table. I said, well, I don't belong here. She said, yes, you do. Sit down. And, I, and she said, it's the VIP table because I'm sitting at it. Amen. So thank you for letting me sit at the VIP table with you and Lady Tory and Dr. Whitney Stewart. Whitney, are you here? Is Whitney here? All right, she was here at 8 o'clock. Just some, some great people. Uh, Cofield, you, you've, done a, you've done an amazing job over 29 years. And I want to do something. I asked him if I could be at home, and he said, yes, be at home. He didn't know what be at home meant. And so here's what be at home means for me. It's 29 years, and, and I know that you celebrate your pastor. I know that you love him tremendously. Uh, I know that you support him uh, in every way that a church is supposed uh, to support him. Uh, but I want to be a special blessing. I want to be a special, somebody shout a special blessing. I don't want to be offensive. I want to be a special blessing. Will y'all allow me to be a special blessing? And the way that I want to be a special blessing, the way that I want to be a special blessing, I'm going to ask the officers, I want to ask several officers, if you would just get a basket, I don't know what you take your offering up in, but I, I want to, uh, I want to, uh, I want to be a special blessing uh, to Pastor uh, Cofield. Now, I asked him in the back, I asked him in the back, um, did the 8 o'clock preacher uh, bless him? And he said, yeah. I said, well, what did he do? And he told me what he did. And then I looked at my check, and it was short. <laughs> and, and so, DZ, I'm, if you bring those baskets, I'm going to tell you all what I'm going to do. And I'm a man of my word. Amen. Amen. Y'all come on. Come stand right in the front. Come stand right in the front. Because we're going to do this quickly. We're going to do it expeditiously. And then I'm going to preach. I won't preach long. Amen. All right. I have, I have a check uh, with me uh, for $1,000 that I want to give to my brother. And then, and then when, I, when I get back home, uh, when I get back home, I'm, I'm going to go uh, and go to the bank. I'm, I'm about to go to the bank. And I'm, I'm going to give another 1500 So I'm going to give 2500 Amen. I, I ain't trying to compete with the 8 o'clock preacher, but DZ is my real brother, and I can't, I can't, let, I can't let the 8 o'clock preacher. I'm from New York by way of Dallas. I cannot allow. Now, I, listen, as many of you, I know you have already given. I know that. And I told you, I don't want to be offensive. I know you've made some sacrifices. As many of you as can and will, who will just come right now, if you'll just come with $20, if, as many of you as can and will, even if you've already given, if you just come quickly, you don't, I'm not going to call your name, I'm not going to point you out and say, hey, I'm glad to see you and all that. I just want you to help me be a blessing because I have to outdo that 8 o'clock preacher. <laughs> Amen. Amen. All right, just come quickly. I'm not, just come quickly. Everybody, thank you. 
thank you so much. Look at God. Look at God. Okay, Cash App is on there, DZ Cofield. Cash App, if you want a Cash App, come on. Come on. This is a special sacrificial gift. I knew my man, I knew my man, um, attorney, uh, attorney Vic, I knew he was going to give, and uh, I'm going to tell y'all what I'm going to do uh, when, when we get to offering, amen. In the balcony, those of you who want to cash out in the balcony, just come quickly, come quickly. Thank you so much. This is just a special gift, Amen. Amen. I know, I know I'm going to have some, I'm going to be blessed with this because uh, Attorney Vic is here and I'm going to go back to the hotel and I'm going to slip and fall and he's going to represent me in the case and I'm going to have a whole lot of money. I'm going to be blessed. Y'all don't like me already. Amen. You heard what he said. I got you, see. Amen. No, I'm not going to do that, but I thought about it. When he's talking about all the personal injuries and cases he's handled and everything like that. Amen. All right. God bless you. Thank you so much. Give yourselves a hand. Give yourselves a hand. Let's pray over this. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for the gifts. We thank you for the givers. We thank you for good hope. We thank you for the leadership. We thank you for your people here on the planet in Houston, Lord. And we ask you to get all the glory and praise. Now, Lord, stand in my body, think with my mind, and preach with my mouth that I might preach with clarity, boldness, and conviction to the end that somebody might hear your word and be saved to the end that a fool will not err and go astray. I love you, God, because you've been so extremely good to me, and you've been extremely good to all of us, and we just want to want to say thank you in Jesus' name. Will you stand with me? Thank you, Lord. Come on, good hope. Thank you, Lord. Everybody help me say that. Thank you, Lord. want to thank you Lord oh you've been so has he been good to you lift your hands wave them all over the field oh yes you have you've been You made a way. Everybody help me. You made a way. Oh, yes, you did. You made a way. Oh, 
thank you, Lord. One more time, everybody. Thank you, Lord. Come on. Thank you, Lord. I thank you, Lord. feet the word of God in your hand turn with me to the book of Nehemiah Nehemiah chapter 1 I'll be reading uh, for your hearing verses 1 through 4 again that's Nehemiah chapter 1 verses 1 through 4 is our scripture lesson for uh, today and it will serve as the foundation uh, for the message Nehemiah chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. When you have it, say amen. Amen. It reads, the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah, and it came to pass in the month of Chislu in the 20th year as I was in Shushan, the palace, that Hananiah, one of my brethren, came, he and certain men of Judah, and I asked them, someone say, I asked them, I asked them concerning the Jews that had escaped, which were left of the captivity and concerning Jerusalem. And they said unto me, the remnant that are left of the captivity there in the province are in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem also is broken down. Somebody shout, the wall is broken down. And the gates thereof are burned with fire. And it came to pass when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned certain days and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be unto God. I want to tag this text and prayerfully preach today from the sermon subject, Weeping Over the Wall. Weeping Over the Wall. Look at a neighbor, look him squarely in the eye and tell him, neighbor, oh neighbor, the guest preacher's preaching today from the sermon subject, Weeping Over the Wall. Look at somebody else and tell him, let's help him out. Amen. Weeping over, weeping over the wall. In 586 B.C., something very tragic and terrible took place in Jerusalem. Nebuchadnezzar and his powerful Babylonian army overran the gates of the city, burned down the gates, knocked the gates down, burned the gates to the ground, ransacked the city, destroyed the temple of Solomon and did some very dastardly things to God's people. 
you do know that uh, the children of Israel were God's people. Look at somebody and tell them they were God's people. They were God's chosen people. They were, they were the apple of God's eye. They were hand-picked by God, going back all the way uh, to the call of Abraham down in the earth of the Chaldees. You do remember that Abraham uh, was the son of Terah. He was a worshiper of false and pagan gods. And in the midst of worshiping false and pagan gods, God who is all powerful, God who is all knowing, God who does what God wants to do when God gets ready in his sovereign will, God reached down into that heathenistic and pagan culture and he lifted Abraham and called Abraham to follow him and to go on a journey to a city whose builder and maker was God. And on the journey, Abraham was not given a road map. Abraham was not given a travel plan. Abraham was not given with what we know as a uh, GPS, a global positioning satellite. He simply had to trust God by faith. And somebody in the room today, you know what it means to trust God by faith. I need you to look at two people and I need you to tell them this is a faith journey. Uh, we, we walk by faith and not by sight. Those who come to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And I think that ought to parenthetically tell you that God honors faith. Look at somebody and tell them God honors faith. And so God honored the faith of Abraham and he made him a great nation, gave him a son named Isaac. Isaac gave birth to, Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob became father of 12 uh, sons, became known as 12 tribes of Israel. And eventually they situated in Jerusalem, which became uh, the holy city known as the city of God. It was the place where God would go to meet God's people. And aren't you glad that God will meet his people? I'm, I'm glad that God will meet us where we are uh, in spite of our circumstances, in spite of our backgrounds, in spite of who we know, what we know, what we don't know. God will meet us. He's a God who will have a relationship with us. He's a God that we can know. He's a God that we can call on. He's a God that we can trust. He's a God that we can lean on. He's a God that we can depend on. He's a God that we can count on. Somebody shout with me, there is no failure with God. But as people of God, we have to understand unequivocally, there are rules and there are regulations, there are commandments and there are stipulations that God has placed in place and God wants us to honor him. God wants us to honor him in our daily lives. God wants us to honor him in our walk. God wants us to honor him uh, in our talk. God wants us to live a life that's pleasing in his eyesight, a light that is not void of sin, but a life that is lived intentionally to please God. 
That doesn't mean you're going to be perfect. That doesn't mean you're not going to make any mistakes. That doesn't mean you're not going to fall short sometimes because we all fall short of the glory of God. But as we worship God, we have to worship God with some sense of intentionality. And we want to live lives that are pleasing with God because we know that God is not a God who will tolerate sin and disobedience. When there is perpetual sin and disobedience in our life, God will take the covering off of us. And that's what happened to the people of Israel in uh, Jerusalem. They had become wicked in their ways and God had allowed a wicked and a foreign and a pagan king by the name of Nebuchadnezzar to come in and to pulverize the city. The late Dr. Gardner C. Taylor uh, said at the Hampton Ministers Conference that God used Nebuchadnezzar as a razor for which God was shaving Israel. And sometimes when we become wayward, sometimes when we back away from the standards of God, and sometimes when we move away from God's plan, which is a perfect plan for our life, God in his permissive will will allow us to fall into a place of hardship. God will allow us to end up in a difficult situation which will cause us to call on God. We'll cry out, won't we? When you're in trouble, we'll, you'll cry out, won't you? I don't know about you, but one of my favorite cry is, Father, I stretch my hands to thee. No other help I know. If thou withdraw thyself from me, oh, whether shall I go? I, I need God to, I need 20 people to shout. I need God to cover me. I need 20 people to shout. I need God to keep me. Somebody shout with me. I need God to be a fence all around me every day. I tell the Lord all the time, Lord, be a fence all around me. And don't you know that the only reason why the enemy has not been able to destroy you is because God has a hedge. Well, I need a biblical witness. Come here, Job. You do remember Job, don't you? Satan wanted to get after Job, and I might as well parenthetically tell you that Satan wants to get after you. But he understood unequivocally that he had to get permission from God. Have you considered my servant Job? Yes. And to show you how much I have considered. If you take the hedge down, I can get to him. Somebody shout, I don't want God to take the hedge down. I don't want God. And sometimes God is not trying to destroy you. God is trying to develop you. And so sometimes God develops us by taking things away from us. Sometimes God develops us by putting us in a situation where we are hopeless, where it doesn't matter how much intellectual ingenuity we are attached to, we cannot intellectualize our way out of, we have to call on God. The children of Israel, the city of Jerusalem, 586 B.C., was pulverized by Nebuchadnezzar. Fast forward a hundred years after the children of Israel had been carried away captive into Babylon and many of them became slaves. Uh, the nobles uh, were put in positions of leadership. 150 years later, uh, Babylon falls into the hands of the Persian king Artaxerxes and one of the descendants of the Jewish remnant by the name of Nehemiah ended up as a cupbearer. Somebody shout a cupbearer. 
Now, before you look down on the position of cupbearer, the position of cupbearer was an elite position. It, it puts you uh, right next to the king. And what better place to be than to be next to the king? Now, he had, he had to test all of the king's wine. He had to test all the king's food uh, just in case somebody attempted an assassination hit on the king and had put poison in his drink or his food. But guess what? Being the cupbearer, put him in the room. Somebody shout, I want to be in the room. A lot of times you can't get stuff done because the right people are not in the room. I need 20 people to shout, I want to be in the room. Nehemiah was in the room. And as a result of his position, he was elevated. He had a position of prominence and power. He was even one of the personal counselors to the king. And you know that had to afford him a good life. Somebody shout, Nehemiah lived a good life. And I don't know about you, but I want to live a good life. I want to live my best life. I believe I serve an awesome God and I believe that God has destined and designed for me to have the best. Somebody shout, I'm living my best life. I'm living my best life because I am where I am because God put me there. You see, when God puts you somewhere, nobody can remove you. Be, be careful about making backroom deals and, and cutting deals with the devil to get up because the same people that, that elevate you, they'll bring you back down. But when God puts you there, you are there. So Nehemiah was in this place of position. He was the cupbearer. He had access to some of the finer things of life. He was living a comfortable life. But I want you to understand that God, and this is, this is where I, I want to drop anchor, God has given every last one of us what I'd like to coin a unique discontent. Somebody shout with me, unique discontent. Can I take my time and preach like I want to? God, God, God has deposited, Alicia, in all of us a unique discontent. And I want to lift Nehemiah because Nehemiah serves as an object lesson of an individual who can be exalted in a high position, have everything that his heart can desire, but still have a unique discontent. One of the brethren from Jerusalem came to where Nehemiah was and he inquired about the city of Jerusalem because he had heard and learned some of the ancestral lessons about Israel and knew that they were a people that were chosen by God and he knew that they deserved better and they told him that the city was in bad shape, the, the remnant that was left there was doing poorly and to add insult to injury, to pour acid in the wound he said the walls are burned to the ground, which meant there was no safety, there was no protection for the city or the people. And Nehemiah in this exalted, unique position of authority and power couldn't sleep. When you read verse 4, it says that Nehemiah, when he heard these words, sat down and wept and mourned certain days, fasted, and prayed before the God of heaven. We, we see Nehemiah in verse four of chapter one. We see Nehemiah weeping. His heart 
is broken. This, this, this unique discontent within his spirit caused him to mourn over the conditions of the city of Jerusalem. I want to ask you this morning, what is the unique discontent in your heart? What causes you to mourn? What, 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 what is it that, that motivates you to want to get up and do something and help make a difference? A lot of Christians are just transactional and they're not transformational. I, I don't want to just be a transactional Christian. Look at, look at three people and tell them, I don't want to be a, a transactional Christian. I want to be a transformational Christian. I want to be a Christian that makes a difference. I want to be a Christian that leaves an indelible impact on the world in which I live. I want to make a difference in Harlem. I want to make a difference in New York. I want to make a difference in these divided states of America. I want to make a difference here in my home state of Texas where your hot wheel governor Somebody shout Hot Wheel Abbott. I learned that from y'all deacons. That's what the deacons at, at Good Hope. <laughs> Help me somebody. Abbott, Abbott and, and, the other, and the other governors of the red state, they want to turn back the hand of time. They want to subtract. They want to take us back to a dark place. And, and it, was, it, it all was happening before 45 took office. Help me somebody. And, and you have to understand the language of white supremacists. Make America great again means take America back to a dark place where white is right. Y'all ought to help me. But I, I'm black and I'm proud. I'm, I'm, I'm James Brown Jr. Look at your neighbor and tell him James Brown Jr. is preaching. I'm, I'm black and I'm proud. And it's my pride, it's, it's proud of being black that is a part of my unique discontent because I don't want to be in a position of the cupbearer and be in the room and be at the table while I have brothers that are dying on the street from the usage of fentanyl and other deadly drugs. I can't stand, it breaks my heart. Uh, when I read Michelle Alexander's book and, and she talk about the new Jim Crow and how heavily in, uh, in, incarcerated black men are in this country. Now, it's not true that there are more black men in prison than there are black men in college. Don't, don't somebody shout, don't believe the big lie. But it breaks, it breaks my heart. It breaks my heart when I see Derek Chauvin put his knee on George Floyd's neck for over nine and a half, somebody shout that it causes a unique discontent. It causes unique discontent when I hear Eric Garner cry out 11 times, I can't breathe. It breaks my heart to see black on black assault. I attended the funeral of Tyrese Nichols. And I was there. I watched the pain in the eyes and the heart of his parents. And his siblings. What breaks your heart? Does it, does it break your heart to see homeless people sleeping on the street in Houston? That's why I love, that's why, that's why I love, that's why I love Good Hope. And, and, and that's, why, that's why I love, uh, uh, I love uh, this program, Rooted and Grounded, because uh, it, it's about outhouse ministry. Y'all missed that. 
most, most of our church, and one of the reasons why I was so convicted listening to D.C. Cofield yesterday uh, as he so profoundly uh, expounded on, on Rooted and Grounded because I understand that most of the ministries in Mount Nebo are geared toward in-house. And, and we get comfortable in-house. Are y'all going to help me here? I said, I said, we get comfortable in-house. And what I love about Good Hope is that this, this new model for ministry gets us outside of the house. It gets us where the systemic problems lie in the city of Houston. It takes the gospel to its design and designated point where God originally designed for it to go in the first place. And I thank God for giving you a leader who has a unique discontent when it comes down to discipleship. Let's just take a 30-minute pause and just celebrate DZ Cole. It is his 29th anniversary. Now, now you all know, you all know that uh, uh, DZ, DZ Tory is uh, one of the nations, and I'm not just blowing smoke, y'all, uh, DZ is one of the nation's greatest expository preachers in America. He, he, he can pull it. Somebody shout, the man can pull it out of the text. Come on, say it with me. The man can pull it out of the text. He, he can pull it out of the text. And then he can deliver it and, and make it applicable and, and give you the life application. So what I want to do today is I want, I want to give you what I think are three salient points uh, from the book of Nehemiah as a whole, and I hope it'll bless your life uh, because there is a unique discontent in me, and I know that there's a unique discontent in this pastor, and there's a unique discontent uh, in the inner uh, fiber of this congregation, in the DNA of this congregation. There is a unique discontent. When you get like Nehemiah, when you start weeping, when you start crying and you start fasting and you start praying is it's usually at a time when God is getting ready to greatly use you. Let, let, let that unique discontent serve as a wake-up call that God is getting ready to do something great in you. I need you to look at two people on either side of you and say, God is getting ready to do something great in me. The first thing that we see Nehemiah does and is found in verse chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. You read it when you go home is Nehemiah felt his feelings. Oh, I thought y'all would shout right there. Nehemiah was in touch with his feelings. Look at somebody and tell them, neighbor, it's all right to be in touch with your feelings. It, it's okay for you to feel how you, I need you to look at somebody and tell them, I'm not embarrassed by feeling the way I feel. I feel the way I feel because you don't know what I've been through. You, you, don't, you, you, you know the, the glory, but you don't know the story. Have I got a witness up in here? You, you don't know how many battles I had to fight this week on the job. You don't know the hell and the horrifying conditions of my household. You don't know what I've been through. You don't know my financial circumstances. You can't judge a book by the cover. Don't judge me by what kind of house I live in or what kind of car I drive. You don't know what it costs for me to do it. 
I, I, have a, I have an executive pastor by the name of Reverend Sandra Baker. And when I don't call her back in a timely fashion, and when I do call her, she says, Brother Pastor, I'm feeling some kind of way. And I've come to tell you at Good Hope this morning, I'm feeling some kind of way. When I see Joe Biden stumbling and falling, can't put a good sentence together. Somebody shout, I'm feeling some kind of way. When, when, I, when I see black folk locked up for petty crime and I see Donald Trump just walking free. My daddy, 90 years old, deacon in Dallas, said, when are the hell they gonna lock him up? I said, daddy, calm down, man. It's gonna be all, somebody shout, it's gonna be all right. There's a song, it's gonna be all right. But see, dad is feeling some kind of way. He's in his feeling because he knows that something is wrong. And do you know, Houston, we have a problem. We've got a problem in black America. We've got a problem in black Houston. Gang violence. You've got to lock yourself in to keep criminals from coming in on you. Everybody, somebody shout everybody. Everybody in Houston packing. Come on, talk to me, y'all. I ain't got much time left. I see the clock is ticking out on me. Uh-huh, you, you came to church with your stuff today because you feeling some kind of way. Don't act like you don't have your peace with you. Somebody shout, I'm feeling some kind of way. I'm, I'm feeling some kind of way when, when they, they don't want to teach uh, critical race theory. I'm, I'm feeling some kind of way when DeSantis wants to be the president of the United States, but he's banned the teaching of black history because he don't want to offend the, the offspring and the descendants of former slave owners. And if you don't know your history, you'll repeat it. So I'm feeling some, I'm in my feelings this morning. Nehemiah was in his feelings. He was feeling some kind of way. Touch your neighbor. I'm telling him, I'm in my feelings this morning. Tell him, I'm glad I came to church. I'm glad that the guest preacher came all the way from New York to tell me it's all right for me to be in my feelings. You smiling in my face and stabbing me in my, I'm in my feelings. You lying on me and don't even know me. I'm in my feelings. You holding a grudge against me because somebody else fell out with me. I'm in my feelings. I'm in my feelings when my church members won't do right. When I get back next Sunday, I'm going to be in my feelings. <laughs> Are y'all going to help me here? Touch your neighbor and tell him it's all right to feel your feelings. Mm -hmm. But here, here's, here's the second piece. Second piece. Uh, chapter 2, verse 2 through 5. Read it when you go home. Uh, not only do we see Nehemiah in his feelings, but the second thing, uh, when you weep over the wall, when there's this unique discontent, uh, it propels you to do something. Somebody shout, do something. You know, a lot of us, we know stuff ain't right. You, you, know, you know it's not right uh, when the homeless of Houston 
they're already homeless. And they pitch, they pitch their tent underneath the bridge next to the, to the convention center. And because the elite doesn't want the visitors in the city to see the homeless condition, they build a fence. That's what the oppressor does. The oppressor, that's, that's what building the wall is all about. It's to keep people of color and people who are disenfranchised, it's to keep them down and to keep them out to a point where they get to a point where they say, I've been down so long, down don't bother, down bothers me. And that unique discontent causes me to do something. Somebody shout with me, do something. Every Christian, every member of good hope under the leadership of D.Z. Cofield, as you study rooted and grounded, you ought to be ready to do something. Be ready to do something and go to a banquet and eat baked chicken and fried chicken. Be ready to do something other than to form a clique in church like the cliques you have at work. Do something means going out into the highway and the hedges and compelling men that my house might be full. Somebody shout, do something. I, 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 I feel some kind of way, Tori, and and I feel like I need to, to do something. That's why when Sean Bell was shot 51 times, I got in the demonstration line and went to jail. That's why when Eric Garner was choked to death, I got in demonstration line and went to jail. That's why when Donald Trump appointed that first Supreme Court judge who I knew was racist and anti-black, I got on a plane and left Dallas and got on Fifth Avenue and shut Fifth Avenue down and went to jail because I had to do something. God wants us all to do something. Nehemiah was in his feeling. Nehemiah did something, but there's a third thing we see here in this text. In verses uh, uh, 17 and 18, we see that Nehemiah didn't go by himself. Teamwork makes the dream work. I'm out of here, good hope. May the Lord bless you real, real good. But don't go alone. I've come to tell you this morning that uh, the kingdom of God does not need any Lone Rangers. Uh, every Lone Ranger needs a tonto. Every, every bad man needs a robin. And every green hornet needs a cato. Do you hear what I'm saying? Every Paul needs a Silas. And every DZ Cofield, uh, oh Lord, uh, needs uh, a Stan Adams. 
Do you hear what I'm saying? I made up in my mind that I was going, yes, to get up and do something because it breaks my heart to see things going in the wrong direction. Oh, Lord, in the case at hand, when Nehemiah heard that the people were in distress, and when he heard that the wall of the city had been burned down, he was no longer comfortable setting up in the king's palace, drinking the wine of the king. Yeah, he was in his feelings. Look at your neighbor and tell him, neighbor, it's all right to be in your feelings. But then do something and don't go by yourself. Finally, we read in chapter 4, yes, beginning in verse 13, where not only was Nehemiah in his feelings, not only did he do something, not only did he get others to go along with him, but I see one other thing, they were working together. Do I have a witness? Even amid, yes, criticism and ostracism, they stood the test. They stood together even when Sanballat and Tobiah criticized them and trying to conspire to stop the work. I need somebody to get up on your feet now and look at your neighbor and tell them, neighbor, here at Good Hope, we are doing a great work and we can't come down. I know folk are going to try to get you to come down. They're going to tell you, you don't have to do all Pastor Cofield is calling on you to do. You got to learn how to ignore your distractions. You got to learn how to stay focused on the word of God. And while the enemy had their plan to stop the work, Nehemiah had a plan to keep the work going. Tell your neighbor, 29 years, the work needs to continue. Tell them the wall has not been completed. There's still more work to do. And when the enemy come, do like Nehemiah did. He told them to take their weapon in one hand and take their work tool in the other hand. Somebody shout, I got my weapon in my hand. The word of God. It's a lamp unto my feet. It's a light unto my pathway. Tell somebody I'm going to work. 
I'm going to wait on the Lord and I'm going to stay with it because Isaiah said they that wait upon the Lord Renew their strength. They shall mount up on wings as eagles. They shall run, not get weary. Walk and not faint. Look at somebody. Grab them by the hand. Tell them, neighbor, I know it gets hard sometimes, but be not dismayed. What? God will anybody here no God will take care of you anybody here the Lord has taken care of you anybody here the Lord has fought your battle get up on your feet and tell somebody I know the Lord will make a way somehow yes he will he made a way did he make a way for you if he made a way for you shout it shout it he made a way for Nehemiah and 52 days after the launching of the rebuilding of the wall program the wall was completed God will do what he said he would do if you know he will say yeah say yeah say yeah say yeah I know he's alright Anybody here, you're gonna weep over the wall. Anybody here, you've got a unique discontent. You wanna see the work of the Lord completed. See it, see it, see it. Ah, 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 ah. 